Hey, welcome to Whitestone. My name's Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're visiting, um, Brock will be up here next week. It'll be better. So come back again. Don't just judge it based on this one, okay? He's in the back teaching kids like a good godly man would do. Um, We're going to continue this week. I know last week Brock told you we were finishing in Ephesians, but I don't think we're done yet. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, continuing our series um, in the book of Ephesians. and are there, Let me ask you a question. Are there parts of the Bible, if you're honest, that you just ignore? Like you just pretend like they're not even there. Like, say, the book of Leviticus. You just rather not go there? You know, what about the begats in Matthew? You know, I mean, there are just some things in there that you think you just kind of habitually overlook. The passage we're going to look at this morning in Ephesians chapter 6 is one of those passages. It's, a, it's, just, it's just four verses. Ephesians 6, verses 5 through 9. So can we do this? I'm going to try to make this relevant to you, okay? But if I don't, it's not my fault. It's God's message, not mine. Okay? Blaming it on God already. Here we go. Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to read it from the NIV. Translation. This is one of the passages that I think that most of us, when we get to it, we just overlook it because we think it doesn't apply to us. Paul's continuing his, his talk about submission. He had talked about us submitting to one another, and then he talked about husbands and wives and children, and now he gets to this part. And this is what it says. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart. Just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way, and do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there's no favoritism with him. It's, a, it's like one of those passages that you get to and you think, oh, this one doesn't apply to me because I'm not a master and I'm not a slave. Because we read this from our context. When I hear the word slavery, it makes me cringe. It really does. It's one of the most sickening words in the human language, in any language in my opinion, the idea that one person could treat another person like a piece of property, to be used however they like and then be discarded like trash. It's, it's just, I can't think of a worse word. See, when we hear the word slave, we hear it in our context and we think about 19th century America in the South. And we think dehumanizing, brutal, institutional, accepted, applauded even. A country went to war over this issue. We killed our brothers and sisters over this issue. When I think about slavery, I think about boatloads of Africans from Ghana being herded into ships and shipped to the island of Hispaniola 
where Haiti and the Dominicans share, to strip mine the land, to, 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 to be just used until they died. It started in 1492 with Christopher Columbus. Good dude. We don't celebrate him very much anymore. It continued through the 1600s. Just a whole race of people. That's why, in, in case you don't know this, that's why Haitians are mainly black. Because they all came from African descent. Right, Francois? See, they killed all the native Haitians. And they brought in slaves. See, that's what I think about when I hear the word slave. You know there's still slavery in Haiti today? Estimated a half million children called Restaviks that are just child slaves. And it's accepted. So in that context, when, when you read this, slaves obey your earthly masters. It's easy for us to discount it, right? Because we think, well, that's not the world we live in. That's not my normal. It's, it's not, hopefully it's not your normal, right? But let me tell you something. The word used here that's translated slave means much more than that. See, the, the word in the Scripture, translated slave, can have three different meanings. Okay? Three different meanings. Some still sickening to me. One of them is just slave. One of them is just, yeah, I own you, you do what I say. But there are two other ones that are quite different, that kind of apply more to me and to you. And in the context of the gospel, in the context of Jesus, can actually be uplifting, can actually be edifying, and might actually make a difference in your day-to-day, -day, in my day-to-day. They have nothing to do with abusing another person, but instead have everything to do with honoring Christ. That would be a worthy goal, right? To honor Christ in the way that we live. See, this is what I want to, I want to release you from right now. This morning, everything I say, I don't want you to think about yourself. Think about someone else. Is that fair? Everything I say, don't be looking for God, hey, give me, give me, give. no, God, let me give, let me give, let me give. Is that fair? Can we give ourselves away like Jesus gave himself for us? That's what I would ask of you this morning. Three primary translations of the words in the Old Testament and the New Testament for slave, or one slave, second, bondservant, and third, servant. It's all through the Scripture, the same two words. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word in the Old Testament is ebed, E-B-E-D, ebed. That's the word in the Old Testament translated as slave. See, in the Old Testament, slavery could be entered into voluntarily or involuntarily. See, you can make yourself a slave if you owed a debt you couldn't pay, if you wanted to get out of poverty. Voluntarily, you could say, I, I want to be a slave, Abed. Involuntarily, in the Old Testament, you could be a slave because you were captured in battle, 
because you were born to someone who had been captured in battle? A judge could rule you guilty of a crime and say, you're a slave. The word ebed in Hebrew. Old Testament. Mainly translated slave through the whole Old Testament. But when we get to the New Testament, the New Testament was written in Greek. And the Greek word, doulos, the word D-O-U-L-O-S, doulos, is translated throughout the New Testament in these three different ways. Sometimes slave. Sometimes when, when, like an example, Romans chapter 6. Flip over there if you, if you got your Bible. Romans chapter 6. Verses 16 through 19. Paul's talking about us being slaves to sin. And this is what he says. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, doulos, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, doulos, become obedient from the heart to the standard of the teaching that you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves, doulos, to righteousness. See, this is the truth, people. We think we're free, but we're not free. You're a slave to something, to sin or to righteousness. One leads to life and one leads to death. Slaves, doulos, obey your earthly matter. It, it, this applies to us, okay? We're slaves to something. My question to you this morning is, what are you a slave to? The Bible says that he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Guys, if you're in Christ, you are free from sin. I'm wondering how many of us are walking around with shackles on that we hold the locks to. We've locked ourselves into these things by our own doing. Guys, be slaves to righteousness. This, the second one that I want to talk about is the word servant. Okay? Doulos is also, throughout the New Testament, sometimes translated slave, sometimes servant. John chapter 4, verses 50, verse 51. The context of this is that Jesus is in Capernaum. Same place he turned the water into wine at the wedding. Remember that? He's back in that place, and there's, a, there's an official, probably a centurion, whose son is sick. And he comes to Jesus and says, hey, can you heal my son? Okay, and it's, it's like a day's walk back to where he's from. And so on his way back, it says in John 4.51 that he met his servants, doulos. People who just served this guy. They weren't his slaves. They worked for him. And he met his servants, and they told him, hey, like yesterday at this time, your son started getting well. Doulos. Servant, not, not slave. Matthew 25, 21. These beautiful words that I hope all of us get to hear one day, Randy. Well done. 
my good and faithful servant. Doulos. The same word. Doesn't sound like a slave to me, does it to you? John 15, 15. Words of Jesus. No longer do I call you servants. Doulos. For a servant does not know what the Master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my Father I've made known to you. Doesn't sound like a slave to me, does it? You're no longer servants. I call you friends. Because everything my, my dad told me, I've told you. You're my friends. Different words. Different translations. Totally different meanings. But what I want to talk to you about this morning, that I think... This is why I say it's not about you. It's about someone else. It's about someone else in your life. Because the third one, the third translation is the word bondservant. Bondservant. See, in... In the Greek, the, the word bondservant referred to someone who chooses to bind themselves to someone else. They're bound to someone else as a servant, but they're not a slave. And it's usually for an extended period of time. It could be for a, who knows how many reasons. It could be to pay off a debt. It could be just that they care that much. A bondservant. It equates, this translation equates it to being bound to Christ, like we're bound to Christ. See, bond servants weren't slaves. They could, they could be free. They could purchase their own freedom. They could own things. They could live their life. But they had bound themselves to the heart of another one. I want to read this same passage from the ESV translation. Okay? Same passage, ESV. Y'all still with me? Ephesians 6, 5 through 9, same four verses. Here we go. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Whether he is a bondservant or is free, masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours, is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. See, here, in that context, I'm asking you to interpret it this way. Being a bondservant, as you are to Christ, is attaching yourself to someone for some reason for the kingdom. 
attaching yourself to someone for some reason for the kingdom like we are bondservants of Christ. See, I think this translates more into the world that you and I live in today. Because there's no one telling you you're a slave. No, we have rights. Every, every person is born with these rights, right? All men are created. That's what our country says. But we still have an enemy that tries to enslave us, right? But in our society, there's no one telling you you have to be a slave to this. These are choices that we make for ourselves. In Ephesus back in the day when he wrote this, it's estimated that one-third of the whole population were bondservants. People who had chosen, for whatever reason, to bind themselves to the servitude of another. See, Paul here is not condoning the system of servitude. The system was already there. There are a lot of things in America that I wish I could change. Would you agree? I mean, there are a lot of things in our society that society says is okay that are not okay. And just because I can't write a law to change them doesn't mean I condone them. But in the midst of it, we're called to live godly lives, right? In the midst of this stuff, whatever, however you describe, whichever side of the aisle you fall on, I couldn't care less. In the midst of it, we're called to live godly lives. And that's what Paul is doing right here. He's, he's telling us in, the, in these four verses how to live godly lives in the midst of a culture that may not be right. That we might not be able, be able to change, but we're called to live in. See, we are supposed to be in the world, but not of the world, right? Do you ever feel like the, that the world just kind of gets on you? Like it's so on you, you can't get it off of you? Like it just, I mean, you just feel dirty just by being in it? That was the, the climate in, in Ephesus when Paul wrote this. And he's saying in the midst of a system where it's okay for people to act like they own other people, how do you love Jesus in the midst of it? How do you love Jesus in the midst of it? This, this makes me think of uh, the Lord of the Rings. Any Lord of the Rings fans in the room? Two. Get some culture, people. Come on. Honestly, okay, um, I was not a huge Lord of the Rings person because the first one that I saw, I didn't have any context, and it seemed kind of dark and kind of gross, you know? Um, this is what you need to know about the Lord of the Rings, though. J.R.R. Tolkien, who has three initials? Anyway, J.R.R. Tolkien wrote it, wrote the trilogy. He was a strong believer. One of his best friends in the world was C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. They were, they were contemporaries, and they would, they would meet at a bar in England, and they would critique each other's work, and they, and, I mean, it, it's fascinating. I mean, the knowledge around that table had to be incredible. But he, it's fiction, and it's about good versus evil, and there's a lot of darkness in it. There's, I mean, there's dwarves and elves and magicians and wizards and world, all kinds of stuff, okay? But it's all fiction 
but there's, there's truth all through it. And there's one relationship in the Lord of the Rings that is just beautiful. It's the relationship between Frodo, who's, who's the guy that's carrying the ring, and Sam, who's another hobbit. They're like little short guys with hairy feet. Had to be said. Um, he's also Rudy. Sam was Rudy. From, okay, so okay, he's, he, he gets around. Anyway, in this story, Sam refuses to leave Frodo. Even when Frodo wants him to leave, Sam will not leave him. That's a bondservant. Listen to this quote from... Uh, there's, a, there's a book called Finding God in the Lord of the Rings by Kurt Brunner and Jim Ware. And this is a quote from that book. Frodo Baggins was given Sam, a fellow hobbit who was not particularly bright or brave. He did not have the wisdom of Gandalf. Gandalf was a wizard. The courage of Gimli, Gimli was the dwarf, or the instincts of Strider, who was just the cool dude. But he was trustworthy and loyal, and that is just what Frodo needed the most. Okay, maybe, maybe you're not tracking with my Lord of the Rings stuff. Let's go back Bible, okay? David and Jonathan. David was anointed the king of Israel. Jonathan was the son of Saul, who was the king of Israel. Jonathan had every reason to hate David. Every reason to hate David. But he chose to go with God's calling. And he became David's best friend. He bound himself to David when he didn't have to. Question for you. What kind of journey are you willing to go on for someone else? Not because you have to, but because you feel like God's called you to. What kind of journey are you willing to go on for the sake of someone else simply because God has called you to bind yourself to them? Question number two. Is there someone in your life that everyone else has given up on. But God's calling you to be the person that does it. Not because it makes sense. Not because there's anything in it for you. Except honoring God. Is there someone in your life that everyone else has given up on? That God might be saying, hey, that's your calling. It might not seem that spiritual. But it might just be the most holy thing you ever do. See, this is the deal. We all choose to attach ourselves to something. 
See, I'm, I'm, I'm calling you to like this holy, noble thing that really is just going to get you all dirty and muddy and make you feel gross and probably get you hurt, but it'll make God really happy. But the, the truth is that if you don't choose that, you're going to choose something else. We, we attach ourselves to jobs. To relationships. To academia. To titles. We attach ourselves to all kinds of things. And when we do, we put ourselves under their authority. Right? Why not put ourselves under a different authority, under the authority of God that says, hey, yeah, I've moved those mountains and I'm going to move them again. And you can be a part of it. I've seen this happen in this church. I've seen examples of this as I look around the room of people who have laid themselves down for other people and seen beauty come out the other side. The invitation for you today is that could be you. Just wake up, look around, and realize that you can choose to put yourself under the authority of another for the glory of God. And it might be uncomfortable, but it can be beautiful. See, we all live under authority of some form, whether we like it or not. How many of you like paying taxes? I mean, it's so fun, isn't it? I got an email yesterday that, oh, guess what? TurboTax 2021 is now out. You can get started. You can just download it and you, because everyone loves the authority of someone telling you what you have to do and when you have to do it. But guys, we were created to live under authority. In Luke chapter 7, Verses 1 through 10, there's a story of a Roman centurion who has a servant that's sick. And so he sends some of his servants to go see Jesus. He didn't even go see Jesus himself. He never sees him face to face. He sends some of his servants and he says, tell, them, tell Jesus this, I too... I'm a man who lives, under, or who lives under authority. I have people under my authority. You don't have to come see him. All you have to do is say the word, and he'll be healed. I, too, am a man under authority. I know you know what I'm talking about. Jesus says, I haven't seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. Guys, there's some power in realizing that we live under the authority of Almighty God. And that He's, as my friend Johnny Ray says, and I think Brock quoted him last week, God's in control of everything you're not in control of. Every single thing. We can make ourselves low and trust that He will lift us up. But if we try to lift ourselves up, and we try to act like we're the authority, guys, we're going to be made low. That's the truth of the Bible. See, living under authority is not a bad thing. And look, 
Can I just make it really simple for you? Okay? Living under authority in Christian community might be this simple. It might just be having accountability. Having someone in your life that really knows your crap. That can call you on it, speak the truth in love, and you keep going. But guys, the secrecy of sin is most of the power of sin. Accountability gives other people authority in your life. Do you have those people in your life that you trust enough to tell them, hey, this is, what's, this is really what's going on with me? Guys, if you don't, you're robbing yourself. It might seem like safety, but it weakens us. See, in the rest of this passage, and I'm almost done, because I'm just going to go through this really quick. Paul gives you some really practical ways to live out this kind of life within the culture that we live in. It worked in Ephesus 2,000 years ago. It works here. Verse 5, and I'm just going to go through them really quickly. It says, Obey your earthly masters as you would Christ with fear and trembling. See, most of us can't get past the word obey because none of us like to be told what to do. Right? How many of you have a job you don't like? Don't raise your hand. How many of you are told what to do and it's not what you want to do? Guess what we're supposed to do? Unless it dishonors God, we're supposed to do it. Like we're doing it for God. I worked at the IRS right out of college. Yeah, I did. For a year, longest year and a half of my life. Nothing about that job did I like. I was a revenue officer. Guess what they did? They go out and find people who don't file taxes or pay taxes and try to make them file and pay. I drove through swamplands to farms where they could have buried me. Trying to get them to sign a piece of paper. And I'm thinking, I'm like this 20-year-old kid. Like, I probably, you think I'm skinny now. I probably weighed like 118 pounds at the time. And I'm thinking, I'm intimidating, right? I'm not packing a gun or anything. It was awful. But I did it as best I could, like I was doing it for God. And guess what happened? God taught me more about how to be a pastor during that year and a half than in probably 15 years of being a pastor. Because if you can go talk to people about their taxes and treat them with respect and walk away alive from the conversation, God has done something. There are things that are really hard in life that we would never choose, but they choose us. And those things can be the best things in your sanctification, in your discipleship, in you becoming something more than you were. Does that make sense? See, obey with fear and trembling. See, my fear about our society is that everything seems to have become irreverent 
flippant and casual. And it's like if you hear something you don't like, you just offer your own opinion on social media. Because you have a platform, you don't have to listen to that stuff. Guys, there is a place for respect in our world today. And when it comes to our faith, obeying as we would obey Christ with fear and trembling is not outdated. And it's not old-fashioned. It's biblical. Verse 5, the second part, with a sincere heart. Obey with fear and trembling with a sincere heart. Sincerity can only be faked for so long. You know that this, you might not realize this, I'm, I'm, I'm a really smart person. Um, so you've maybe, maybe you've never heard this before. But you can only fake it for so long. Eventually, if it's not sincere, if you're just doing the right thing for the wrong reasons, eventually you're going to do the wrong thing for the wrong reason. Does that make sense? Sincerity, it's got to... It's got to come from in here. That's the, I, I pray this all the time. Um, God, would you just restore the wonder of all this? Because there are a lot of days I get up and I think, okay, I'm doing the church thing. I'm, I'm reading the Bible. And I'm, I'm going to preach and I'm going to maybe try to lead worship. Or I'm going to, whatever. But my heart's not there. I cannot be the only one. Because every student is fully trained to be like its teacher. So you have horrible hearts because of me. Guys, sincerity. Sincere hearts. Check your motives. Keep serving, not because people expect you to, but because it's the right thing to do. And you want to please God. He goes on to say, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers... See, I, I, I go back and forth. Maybe I'm like windshield wipers, okay? On this side, I want you all to think I'm great. On this side, I couldn't care less what you think about me. And like, sometimes I get stuck in the middle. And that's probably the best place for me to be, okay? And you're probably like that too. Guys, don't just do the right thing because you think people are watching. Do the right thing because it's the right thing and it's coming from a heart that is sincere. Verse 7, he says, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, not to man. What if we found that person? The person I was talking about earlier, the person in your life that everyone else has given up on, and you became that person that wanted to serve that person like you were serving the Lord. Yeah, it might be humbling. You might get taken advantage of. But I can't imagine that God would not be happy with that. Why do I say that? Verse 8, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. You're not going to outgive him. You're not, you're not going to come up on the short end of the stick. 
See, by investing in someone else's present, you're really investing in your own eternity. Now, you're investing in theirs. That's up to them. You can't control how they respond to it. But by investing in their present, you're investing in the kingdom. In verse 9, it says, This masters do the same to them. Stop your threatening. Knowing that who is both their master and yours is in heaven. See, maybe you find yourself in a position of authority. Maybe you have people that look up to you. Remember that God sees you the same. There's no partiality. Treat them the same way that you would want to be treated. It's kind of like the golden rule. It's not that complicated, right? See, we... we this is the truth, Bobby. We never have the right to look down on anyone or anything at any time. Does that make sense? We never have the right to look down on anyone for anything at any time. Cody, I'm going to ask you guys to come on back up. I've just got one more thing to say. I have no idea why God had me swimming in this passage and this whole idea of bond servants and willingly putting it, subjecting ourselves to service for someone else has been stirring in my heart so deeply. But I think this might be it. Ultimately, no matter what your station in life is, whether you're in the deepest valley or on the highest mountain, this life's a vapor. I think Randy said that to me this morning as we were setting up. This life's a vapor. It goes by really fast. And ultimately, it's not about this life. It's about being bound to the one who gave you this life. It's not about success in this life. It's not about comfort or anything that we think would make us happy in this life. It's about being bound to the one who gives life, knowing that there is another life to come. It's not a vapor. And he wants us to share that truth with the people that other people have given up on. We could be those people. Pray with me. Father, I pray that you would use your word to inspire us to holy living. Inspire us to live lives worthy of the calling that you put on our lives when, when you called us out of darkness into the light, when you called us from shame into grace. God, don't let us be selfish with that. But show us how to lavish that kind of love on someone else by doing like you talked about in Philippians chapter 2 where you said, make ourselves like Jesus who being in the very nature of God didn't consider 
that being something to be grasped, but made himself in the form of a servant, being obedient unto death. God, let us be obedient. Doesn't matter who's given the orders, as long as ultimately we answer to you. Let us think about this whole thing about slaves differently. Let us be bond servants. Let us be servants. Let us be slaves only to righteousness. And that's my prayer in Jesus' name. Let's stand and worship.